Welcome to another edition of Expanding Mind. I'm your host, Eric Davis. Continuing our conversations about the cultures of consciousness, though, in some ways I'm wrapping them up, at least for the summer. Uh, As I've mentioned previously, I'm going to take a break uh, over the summer and kind of rethink the show, um, and I may well come back on PRN on a monthly, on a weekly basis uh, in the fall. Uh, I might rejigger the show and I might do something else entirely. I've been doing this for almost a decade. And while the podcast is a hot formula and I like the show and we get pretty good numbers, they could be a little better, but they could always be better. That's the problem with numbers. You know, you start quantifying stuff and then you're comparing and this guy's got more and are they doing something better or Who cares? Maybe they have a bunch of fools and you have all the brilliant people and so then it should count more, but that's an elitist way of thinking. Anyway, the numbers are kind of a mess, but um, they've been holding steady for a while. Let's just put it that way. And that's another funny thing. Like, so what? They're holding steady. You got a crew of people who love your show. What's the big deal? Why worry about it? Why do we always need to expand, get more and more and more? Isn't that the cancer of capitalism written right there in your own uh, psychology? And yet, there's something about the hamster wheel that, that, that kicks in when uh, there's, there's not as much sense of development. So in any case, all of these reasons point to the need for a break. So the best way for folks to keep up with me is to go to my website, technosis, T-E-C-H-G-N-O-S-I-S. Been, I've had it for decades, technosis.com, and you'll get a nice little mailing list sign up there. And really, I don't send out more than once a month. I'm too lazy to do anything else with it. Um, and I don't give out the names. And that way, you'll keep up with me, whatever I end up doing. So that's that's the recommended uh, route of, uh, of hanging out. And uh, I'm going to keep doing events uh, the next couple of months. Um, you can also go to events page on Technosis to see stuff that's coming up. I'll be uh, in New York City this coming week uh, with a couple of events on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, and then over to London for a couple of events the following week. And then I'll be in Amsterdam and Oregon Country Fair, and it goes on and on and on and on, probably more on and on than I want it to be. And some of those events, in fact, one event in particular, a couple of events in particular, will be with our guest today. Our guest today is a fine woman and my wife. Jennifer Dumpert, or Dumper, as they like to say, but people always end up saying Dumpert, so we just kind of go with it. Um, We're going to do a couple of things. We're going to do something in uh, uh, early July at the Mechanics Institute here in San Francisco, uh, celebrating and focusing on her new book, because we both had new books that came out almost exactly at the same time. This was not intended, in some ways, it was a little silly. We're now doing parallel, not very overlapping book tours. But in this one instance, in um, in early July at the Mechanics Institute in San Francisco, we'll be talking about her book, Liminal Dreaming. Uh, and then later in uh, August, we'll do an event in Portland and be hanging out at each other's events in uh, Portland and Seattle. So again, enough promo Go to the website, events page. Now let's turn to our our guest, Jennifer Dumpert. Let's talk about dreams. Welcome to Expanding Mind. It's a pleasure to be here. And you're you're like I think we should say that we actually aren't anywhere near each other. Uh, you're 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 far away there in uh, in upstate New York. I'm in upstate New York. I'm I'm, I'm on an event running four events in ten days. 
how, how have they been? So far, pretty good. I did a Sebastopol, I did a New York City, and I did a Toronto. Uh, I've been really happy at the numbers. As you were saying earlier, there's always the numbers. I've been pretty happy. I've, you know, I've had uh, full. But it, uh, even more uh, to the point is I've, I've had a lot of people who have been pretty interested in Liminal Dreaming, my recent book, Exploring Consciousness at the Edges of Sleep. And people do who are doing some of the exercises and practices in the book, using these states to explore making art or uh, problem solving or coming up with ideas. So that's that's actually been pretty wonderful. Well, what have people said about uh, what, what what kind of things have people been using it for that surprised or, or inspired you? Well, maybe we should say a little bit about it first. Yes, so, what are the what that. are the practices that, or this this idea of liminal dreaming, which is not lucid dreaming? Let's just it's not lucid dreaming. It's something else. Something in, in many ways more interesting, at least more unusual. Um, and so, maybe talk a, a little bit about that, and then what kinds of things people are doing with it. Uh, liminal is a word for between spaces. It comes from the Latin word limen, which is where we get words like limit. And um, it refers to doorways and thresholds. So liminal dreams happen in the space between awake and asleep. As you're falling asleep, you go through hypnagogia. And hypnos is the Greek god of sleep. Agagos is leading toward, so hypnagogia is kind of leading toward the Greek god of sleep, which is a sort of a nice image. And then as you're waking up, you go through hypnopompia. Um, again, hypnos and pompe, like pomp and circumstance, it's leading away from. So that's as you're coming out of sleep. And one of the things that characterizes hypnagogia and hypnopompia, which together make up liminal dreaming, is that you are going into dream spaces, you're accessing the unconscious and having uh, dreams, although they're different from REM dreams, but also your waking mind stays online. So you actually have um, access with your kind of rational thinking mind to what you're experiencing in your dreaming mind. And that makes for a lot of really extraordinary experiences. You know, it's it's funny just because I've been doing a lot of uh, podcasts about high weirdness lately and I often find myself kind of explaining my method you know my own kind of attitude towards it which is sort of just like what you said which is what happens when you accept reason critical thinking self-awareness knowledge but then you take that those skills or those aspects of mind into these realms where things get very strange. In my case, talking mostly about psychedelic experience, but also just visionary experience in general. Uh, and it's just funny how we're, you know, we're kind of both working in, in different registers, a similar mix, because it's different than the full dream state, which is like, oh, the amazing symbols or whatever. It's something about this tension between your observing your own process and yet you're still open to the wonder and the strangeness that's coming online uh through the as you enter or emerge from from the sleep state so it's an interesting resonance there i agree and it's also so if you're people for example you brought up psychedelics and people who are exploring consciousness with psychedelics and that's a really there's a real Venn diagram overlap with that 
and with liminal dreaming. In fact, I think of, um, sometimes I'll, I refer to it as dream tripping because they're, the experiences are so extraordinary and familiar to people who have had experience with psychedelics. So things like that, the, the kaleidoscopic tunnel swirl of images and associations, uh, people often, uh, people as I've been giving these presentations have come up to me and have said, I have found hypnagogia is a lot like DMT, <laughs> you know, um, very difficult to bring something back because there's so much happening. Um, uh, and also these experiences are so much more unlike our waking experience. So REM dreams are actually a little bit more like being awake than the mental dreams are. In REM dreams, you're still like a person having experience in a world with a narrative storyline. I mean, and you might, you might be like in, in, in a Venice on the moon with squirrels and your dead cat, but you still, usually in the dream, it's credible. Like you think it's happening. You, you're, you still think you're a person kind of moving through the world. Whereas, so for example, in the liminal dreams, uh, there often isn't a narrative. There often isn't even a you and an other world that you're moving through. There's just like the unfolding moment of this this free associative, swirling kaleidoscopic um, adventure in mind. You know, so it's and you know, and and also as with the psychedelic or with some of the visionary experiences you're talking about, where it's it's not business as usual, even though even when business as usual is really weird. Yeah, I mean, I like that sense of, and I've had the experience too of being someone who's kind of a natural liminal dreamer, much more than a REM dreamer or a, a lucid dreamer. Although I've had, you know, plenty of lucid dreams more when I was younger. But um, while I don't often na kind of naturally go into liminal uh, dream space, I have, uh, and I remember one period of time. It was years ago where every night it was like I was receiving basically like lessons, like a kind of download of how you navigate these increasingly bizarre worlds of like meta multiple cosmic consciousness. And I remember the next night I would like pick up where I left off and go even farther. And it did have a kind of DMT quality where there was sort of a sense of multidimensional spaces, cosmic information, uh, visually dense sort of geometrical matrices that were unfolding and swirling and and very much a sense of going farther and farther uh, into into a mystery um, but it's you know as I said it doesn't happen that often and what uh, what are the ways or like the easiest ways for people to start you know cultivating this this ability because I know that you've been working on cultivating it and even though in some ways you're a natural dreamer uh, it's really transformed be just because of you have been cultivating this practice and now there's a lot more material there you can stay there a lot longer it's really something that seems to respond to our own intentions to practice which is a lot of what your book is about and that what most people don't know about it's like oh no you can actually practice with this space. So what, what's, I mean, I know there's a lot of things you talk about in your book, but what's a, a place for people to start? Okay. That's a great question. So, um, uh, and, and of course everybody is a natural 
liminal dreamer. Some people are natural lucid dreamers and they have lucid dreams quite easily, but everybody goes through hypnagogia. Not everyone does hypnopomia, but everyone goes through hypnagogia. And it's one of those things where, and when I tell people, oh yeah, it's a thing. People are like, wow, I never even knew that was a thing. Like I have that experience, but I always just go through it. And so already just this, just saying to people, yes, that thing that happens when you're falling asleep uh, or or when you're struggling to stay awake, because that's another time when you get it. Um, that sort of hallucinatory, often you know, soundscape, uh, you know, uh, swirling bit of consciousness dream is actually a thing. Um, that's enough, and and people, when I tell them uh, you can stop and pay attention to that, usually most people will then have the experience. Um, so sometimes just hearing about it, like like whoever is listening is is doing right now is enough. But there's a lot of practices, a lot of exercises in the book for learning to locate and linger in liminal dream. And one of them, one of my favorites is something I call the feedback loop. And it's, um, it's basically lying back and exhaling out any kind of waking energy deep exhales to let any tension leave the body and allowing the allowing the hypnagogic dream to form as it will do if you lie back when you're feeling sleepy and sometimes that's just points of light um or faces turning towards you but also sometimes it's it's a loosening of mind and the the beginnings of imagination so imagination as a faculty of perception is one of the ideas that I talk about a lot in this book. So lying back and letting your imagination kind of start to take over and going into the space of the imagination as your mind is loosening. So exhale out your waking energy, exhale out any tension in your body, let the dream start to form, loosen the mind, let the imagination kind of take over and then let the the forming hypnagogic dream come in to you through your you know your perception imagination's perception or through your sort your sort of dream perception and then it sort of ends up being a feedback loop where you're feeding out your waking energy into the forming hypnagogic dream and letting the forming hypnagogic dream sort of take on a life of its own yeah it's it seemed like one aspect of the feedback loop it's actually you know, not dissimilar from certain ways of, of meditating where let's say you're like, and I, I've done a lot of meditation where I, I start out and I don't have a goal, uh, but I just kind of like settle in and maybe, you know, follow my breath for a little while, start to relax. And then something happens, like there's a warm sense in my belly, or I become very aware of the breath at my nostrils, or there's a field of light that begins to pulse. And I'm open to whatever thing comes, but as soon as something like that happens, I'll gently shift my attention to that thing. And not like analyzing it, but just, you know, drawing, you know, shifting it. If I was concentrating on my breath, now I concentrate on the field of light. And it's not the same, but it's similar to that, at least my experience, liminal dreaming, where like for example, I'm just relaxing. It's all I'm paying attention to. And I notice that there are these sparks of random light on the inside of my eyelids uh, in the in the visual field of the closed eyes. And it's not like I'm going to analyze them because that'll keep me too awake. But it's really like 
allowing attention to sort of gently shift and focus on them. And then they start to respond almost to that attention and you go deeper into the into the state, except in this case, you're not maintaining that kind of clarity of awareness. You're actually allowing kind of sleepiness and and the sort of marvelous haze of dream tendrils to begin to wrap you up even as you maintain a, a little bit of, of waking. And, and that seems to be one of the tricks is as you're going to sleep and you're you know eventually going to go to sleep, how do you maintain the awakeness that allows you to, if not remember all these experiences, at least be a, a conscious of them or attentive to them as you, you go into dream? So most of the time, if I'm actually practicing with it, uh, insofar as I'm trying to figure out how to what these exercises are, or I've done a lot for me. I'm doing a lot of just exploring consciousness, a lot of um, listening to my mind work, as it were, and seeing what different things I can do, or um, uh, analyzing the different stages along the the continuity of consciousness between awake and asleep um and, and if i'm doing that kind of thing i will often do it, it won't be when i'm going to bed at night because when i'm going to bed at night i do have a lot of fun in the hypnagogic realm as i always do but um but then you go to sleep so you don't uh you don't as much track what's happening so often i'll do it during naps during the day or for me in hypnopompia in the mornings um but I also do some playing around. At, at night is kind of more where I play around. If I'm falling asleep, at night is more where I'm exploring things. For example, I've really been, you said earlier about uh, multidimensional. And one of the things that I've been playing with recently is how many different tracks I can keep my mind on at the same time, which kind of, at this point it's kind of like six, but how many different things can I hold, like dream unfoldings or particular through lines in the hypnagogic or hypnopompic state can I hold on to at once? And that's an amazing experience. Like I've, I've had the experience where dreams run on more than one track at a time, but this is much more... Um, you know, like a high level, I'm seeing this world over here that's like a, you know, a melty, gauzy, purple and blue world. And over here, I have a, the image of a glitter, a bird made of pieces of glitter. And over here, I have, uh, you know, a, a rack of albums sitting on the stretch of lawn between my grandparents' house and the street. And I, I have all of those in my mind at once and down into, into infinite detail. And so in, in that case... I'm, I'm going to bed and I'm playing around um, and I tend to remember those more. But if the answer to your question is if you really want to work with this or play with this, often napping is really good, 20 minutes lying on the bed or on the couch or whatever and in the evening or in the afternoon is a, is a great way to go and start to learn to explore this experience. And once you're a little, you've, got, you've gained more facility, then you'll remember more as you're going to sleep. You know, you talk a lot about uh, different, or you talk about some different spiritual or, or religious dimensions to this in the book. You we, you already mentioned this this kind of idea of the imagination, and you can track that idea, and particularly in you know Sufi mysticism and the ideas of Henri Cobain, and uh, and then you also talk about um, 
Yoga Nidra. And I know that one of the events you've done recently was a Yoga Nidra event. And just because there's going to be listeners who do yoga, but maybe haven't heard about it, um, it, it strikes me that, that, there's a lot, that there's a lot of similar practices that are kind of resonating with liminal dreaming in these different worlds. And it's like they're, we're, we're pointing or kind of uncovering something that has sort of been hidden in plain sight. But that Yoga Nidra is an example of a, of a kind of parallel practice um, that is increasingly you know, noticeable in the, in the yoga world. So t- can you talk a little bit about Yoga Nidra and, and how you approach it and, and uh, as, a, as a kind of you know, workshop leader and, and also uh, developer of, um, of these Nidras? Sure. So Yoga Nidra, like, like um, asana practice, is something that is, uh, that is referred to in very ancient texts, although mostly, uh, you know, codified how we practice it in the modern world are most things mostly codified in like the 60s and 70s. And in Yoga Nidra, you're, you're, uh, you have people lying down and you're leading them through. It's like a, basically it's like a guided meditation. But the idea is that you're taking people into uh, a place where they're, um, which deeply, deeply relaxing physically, and where you have access to different parts of consciousness. I, I tend to talk about the Pratyahara stage or the eight limbs of yoga, which is the the liminal zone between outside and inside, where you're dropping really down you still and some some teachers like um rod striker says that yoga nidra is bringing you into hypnagogia i mean some yoga some yoga nidra teachers also say yeah you're going into liminal dream space when you're doing yoga nidra some some want to call it something else some say calling it hypnagogia is you know they want to use a more specialized yogic term for it but i think it's bringing kind of people into a liminal dream state and they're all of the uh the the applications for liminal dreams, the ways that I talk about using liminal dreams are ways that people talk about it with yoga nidra. So there's um, healing, both mental and physical healing. There's med- like meditation, a kind of meditation and consciousness exploration. Uma Dinsmore Tully in the, in the UK is working with women in childbirth using yoga nidra to help women through those processes. The I rest yoga nidra tradition and the U.S. headed up by Richard Miller is looking at um, PTSD and looking at pain um, uh, ways of using yoga nidra toward those ends. Um, and it also, I mean, it's a very, very deep meditation. And and it, so the yoga nidra I did uh, was at a meditation school. I was invited to teach at the Consciousness Explorers Club in Toronto, uh, where those and th- that's a group that works with a lot of different forms of meditation as consciousness exploration and they're you know they're really you were talking earlier about that about the the meditation which is what i think the yoga nidra is for and opening up into those spaces and and at that event a lot of other people were saying yeah in my because they were all meditators in my meditation sometimes i go into that space where i'm kind of back and forth between hypnagogia and meditation, which is an I know experience that you've had. Yeah, I mean, I, I love talking about this, and it it because it underscores a point um, that I'm actually getting more and more kind of uh, 
convinced of as I've sort of explored it on expanding mind and, and, and talking with people, which is that the whole idea that there's like one way to meditate is, is really stupid. It gets in the way of a lot of stuff. I mean, if you're really devoted to one particular practice, great, go for it. You know, see where, see where it goes. But you read a lot of these meditation guys where there's very much a system and they're, they're filled with all these don't, you know, these don't do this, you know, and like, oh, if you're getting sleepy, beware of, of, uh, you know, uh, d- subtle dullness, which will drag your, your meditation down and get you lost in the weeds and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, I think if you're trying for a certain kind of awakeness and you stay on this sort of fuzzy surface layer, you can get like stuck there and, and for a long time, but you know, maybe that's okay. Um, but one thing that comes out of that is I think a lot of meditators feel like they're not supposed to mm. realize that meditation is developing mind training that enables you to consciously explore multiple dimensions of mind, psychedelics, and in this case, these dream realms or these hypnagogic realms. So you start feeling yourself getting a little sleepy, you start seeing lights, maybe you start seeing images and patterns and there's a sense of kind of enchantment or maybe something a little spooky because sometimes the faces that come are a little creepy or strange. And you're like, well, let's see what goes, what's down this, you know, (laughs) what's in this cavern. You know, yeah, it's like exactly. your own D&D game or something. Spelunking. It, spelunking, right. It's a great analogy. And it just seems really important to say, yes, follow your practice. Stick to the plan if that's what you're devoted to. But I think a, a lot of meditators um, will feel a great sense of relief and permission where you're like, yeah, you can you can go there too. And maybe you just do that once a week or you do it when you're napping instead of at your pillow or whatever. Uh, you know, keep the, keep the dimensions separate to some degree. Um, but there, it's, it's really remarkable. And I think it's not just because you're um, seeing uh, into the unconscious or witnessing these processes, but there's actually a sense, a, a kind of, sense of uh, power and encounter there that to my mind also has a lot to do with magic. And you don't talk as much about this in the in the book, but I know we've talked about it a lot and you've had conversations with people for whom this is very true. But I think that a lot of occult practices on, on a pragmatic nitty gritty level are actually ways of sneaking into hypnagogia and playing with the strange sense that can be there, not always, but can be there of like another world or another dimension or another kind of power. It's kind of a spectral, spooky, uh, enchanted environment that you can kind of like work with, uh, maybe like active imagination or directing visualization. But there's some other element about it that it feels like hypnagogy is is showing us something about what a lot of occult experience is actually running on. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think so too. And I, you know, so for again, for me, a lot of these, a lot of the practices 
that I am trying to develop around liminal dreaming are, do you have resonance? So for example, one, um, a thing I've been doing lately that I, uh, that I really enjoy <laughs> is a form of automatic writing where I, because I can touch type, I sit back with my laptop uh, and when I'm feeling, and I mean, at this point I can slip into hypnagogia pretty much at will. And so I'll, I'll, I'll sit back and I'll get into a hypnagogic state um, uh, and with my fingers on the keyboard of my laptop. And then I will just uh, start typing, you know, whatever, whatever it is that comes into my head. And that's, um, you know, that is a really interesting experience of like what's in my mind. And it, and I, it kind of like, uh, I based it a bit on the, the, the John D Enochian angel automatic writing where you're letting the, letting the, the spirit come through you and you're sort of writing whatever it gives you. And I, you know, and, and so I feel like, and, and it's, it's not like I feel like I'm get, necessarily getting messages from beyond, but I'm starting to I'm starting to see these different these different layers of what's happening in my own unconscious experience. Like like I've I've identified like four stops along the way between awake and asleep, um, and each one I've identified through some sort of practice and seeing the different things that my mind or that consciousness does whatever at these different steps along the way. And yeah, it's sure it's a meditation on like, what was, what was John D doing? Or you like, you know, scrying, um, the, we, we have a friend in England, uh, an esotericist who, uh, Julian Vane, who, who, who taught me like a scrying method of getting into hypnagogia and looking at like a turn a powered down iPad or some really reflective screen and seeing what images cut form when you're when you're in those spaces. There, I mean, there's definitely a lot of esoteric practices that I have discovered and as it, I've been doing research. And it, it's interesting is because it it's almost kind of up to you whether you treat it esoterically or not. I mean, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things that the surrealists did is, you know, the surrealists in the 20s and 30s were, you know, really interested in the occult, but they didn't really think of it as like encountering other spirits or exactly. other planes of reality. They were like, hey, we can use these things to undermine and and explore the world outside of kind of conventional rationality and ordinary everyday common sense. So they also loved automatic writing, but they exactly. didn't do it the way the spiritualists did it, which is the spiritualists were actually believing that the spirits were moving their hand and writing from that place. And the surrealists were like, hey, maybe it's just language, languaging on its own through me. And... But what strikes me, and I'm curious whether you see this or in your, in your own experience or with other people, since you now you get to talk to all these people who tell you their stories, whether it's almost like a set and setting thing, where if you go, if you're staring at the iPad screen just to be like, I'm going to trip out on my own mind and kind of drift off into hypnagogic land, then maybe you're more likely to have these kinds of experiences. But if you go there and say, I'm going to use this as a scrying mirror to encounter the other planes or to encounter spirits who want to communicate with me that your experiences might tend to be more like those as well. So it's almost like it's 
like the the liminal dream space is almost silly putty that can kind of respond to different intentions and different symbol systems and different religious ideas. Nicely said. Yeah, that's very true. And I have a I have a riff in the book. I have a chapter in the book that's about practice because the the book really is about practices and exercises. There's lots of, um, you know, there's even an exercises workbook, but throughout the book, there's all of these exercises, ways that you can explore uh, liminal dreaming and apply it. You know, so, a, you know, how to do yoga nidra or how to do Jungian active imagination or how to use, um, you, know, you know, dream incubation. There's a lot of practices and I have a chapter about practice and it's, I'm, I'm a huge believer in practice and in, like you were talking earlier about the meditation or even when I was at this meditation school the other day and um, like, what is meditation? People have such stringent ideas and, and why are you doing it? And people are often like, well, this little dreaming thing sounds interesting, but why would I do it? And if, if just the exploration of your own consciousness is sort of not enough, that there's belief, belief is a huge determinator of what, experience people are having and if you're somebody who doesn't really uh have doesn't really have much uh to do with the world of belief you know like the world of belief isn't really where i linger and so of course a lot of people who come to who come to my workshops or come to my classes or read my work are people who are trying to contact someone in the spirit world or who are you know bob monroe you know, the, the, the famous um, Robert Monroe Institute, who coined the phrase out-of-body experiences, says that you, you uh, the, that hypnagogia is the launching pad for out-of-body experiences. Or there's a lot of different um, traditions that have used hypnagogia. And I, you're right, the experiences that people are having there, if, if their belief is around some set of uh, whatever, aesthetic practices or and what, what, who they expect to encounter or what they expect to encounter or what they expect to happen, then that's more likely the experience that they're going to have. But one of the things I really love so much about liminal dreams, and I, and I again, I talk about this in the book, is that there is that it, such unmapped territory for most of us. You know, I mean, most of us don't really have a sense of, of what we're going to experience there because even though we all experience it, even though everyone goes through hypnagogia, it's been written about and talked about so rarely that that it's a very, right now, it's, I mean, I, I worry about gentrifying, honestly, because now I'm, now I'm sort of talking about the space and trying to give people ideas about what to expect. But still, it's, it, right now, it's a very wide open space. Yeah. So if, if you're looking to, if you're looking for, you know, if, you're, if you think that you're going to be meeting your, you know, your dead cat, in the spirit realms, you know, that maybe that's, maybe that's the place to do it. And if you're just like, wow, I want to go into some really novel state of consciousness and see what is happening there in my mind, which is sort of what I'm doing, then it's, then it's there for that too. Yeah, I think it's, that's all really good point. I mean, I, I really resonate with what you're saying. And, you know, the end of, at the end of high weirdness, I, I actually just turn it back on myself and I say how a lot of the things that I've been interested in since I was a young man, ha are now part of the mainstream, psychedelics, Buddhism, Burning Man, the occult, like all this stuff that was, you know, not super marginal, but pretty marginal in the 80s and 90s, mm -hmm. even forward, are now just part of the stew. And, you know, and then I'm like, well, I, I helped this 
make this happen. You know, like <laughs> yeah, I wrote exactly. it, I've been doing, I've been the guy, like a guy. And now I'm like an authority on this stuff because I've been doing it for so long. And it's a strange mixed bag, you know. Uh, but I still think that particularly in this case, you know, um, actually, if you compare it to psychedelics, it's really interesting. On the one hand, I, I believe that one of the reasons people are attracted to psychedelics now uh, is because the psychedelic experience itself is is always unpredictable. It's always full of novelty and unexpected elements, sometimes positive, sometimes negative. But it's like your own movie that nobody, but you're you're telling it at the time. You're making it up at the time, and it's not even you. You're not in control of it. And people like that, especially in a world that feels more and more managed and algorithmically controlled and predicted and mm. audience uh, tested. And, you know, it's it's like we're in, in all of these algorithmic feedback loops that are trying to anticipate our desires, anticipate our imaginations. And so here's a place I can go and no one can tell me what's going to happen and I don't know. And so when it's happening, it's like this is fresh and novel. But at the same time, because there's been... 50 years plus of modern psychedelic culture and because there's so much art that sort of depicts or reflects or expresses some element of psychedelic experience that our own psychedelic experience is also kind of if you will stained by these cultural images and expectations um, in a lot of ways, you see kind of images that are similar to images you've already seen that sort of resonate with the nervous system phenomena associated with psychedelics. So you're kind of exploring something in a new way. It's a remix, but it's also the elements of it are, are coming very clearly from associations and images. But in the case of liminal dreaming, we don't really have those, those associations. You know, it's not really clear what it is. So it's even fresher in a yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that's one of the things that I do love about it. And it's it's because of course the 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 tendrils of the machine have gotten so good at going into our minds to sell us crap, basically, you know. And even even in psychedelic spaces, even in REM dream spaces, even in some of these weird alternative spaces, we're still. You know the the machine still knows how to go in there, and um, and you know get hold of you know what we're likely to imagine, and and be able to sell us stuff with it. I mean you know the lucid dream machines that you can buy or the psychedelic art that you can buy or etc. But because this is such unmapped terrain, um, there isn't there not yet anyway. <laughs> there's there's yet to be any kind of effort to market and sell crap it's one of the few places where you actually have freedom from the machine <laughs> yeah it's and that's that's a, and, and just for the sake of freshness i mean when we when you know people talk about why would i do this i mean it's a great question why would i do this you know and, and people talk about the meditation that way or psychedelics and we always have this reason we have to have a reason and i'm again like the more i think about meditation in this context the more i think we're missing something really profound by our attempt to instrumentalize these altered states so quickly. Uh, uh, you know, oh, it's for healing. Oh, it's for this. Oh, it's going to improve my this. I'm going to like stop doing this and blah, 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 blah. On and on and on. And there's, it's like we don't recognize the value of just a refresh, a tonic, a, a sparkling glass of, of uh, lemon water in, in an afternoon that sort of 
you know, tingles our senses, like the or or like a a, a nice bath in the unexpected. That just the encounter with novelty as novelty, it does have an effect. I mean, it is refreshing. It does allow us to set aside our normal ego and normal intentions. But we don't have to get anything out of it. And one of the things I, I think that's sort of subtly radical in your, well, there's two subtly radical things in the way you present little dreaming that's fun to watch people kind of wrestle with. And they don't mostly get the, to my mind, deeper implications of it. One is that you're perfectly happy going, well, you know, you don't really bring that much back a lot of the time. You know, you go deep into these other worlds and it's amazing and strange, but the next morning you're like, I don't remember. I know I, I, know I had a little liminal dream, but, and, <laughs> and you're not like saying, you know, so you're, you know, you go like, yeah, if you want to remember it more, you can do this and that and take naps instead of going to sleep. But you're, there's another part of this message. It's like, it doesn't matter. Like, you're, you're also that you that's plunging into these alternate dimensions as you go into sleep, riding that amazing train. And even if it, you mostly don't remember it, there's still a value just to that, which I think is really radical. Mm. And then the other thing is the way that you totally avoid the overwhelming emphasis in dream literature, and especially popular dream literature, on interpreting symbols, interpretation. Yeah. And I just, you know, I love your riff on this. You've, and I, you know, I've, I've known you for a long time. And I, <laughs> you've been a dreamer for a long time. Even before you got into liminal dreaming, you're, you're an unusually um, prolific and rich REM dreamer. And, and you know, you've, you've had this uh, uh, tw uh, tweet a day for years now of like tweeting your dreams and like every day you have some amazing dream and I have like one a dream like that like a couple times a month so you've always been very in touch with the dream realm but as long as I've known you you've you never go wow I wonder if that was a symbol of my mom or there you know it was always just about having the experience itself was enough you didn't need to get an extra meaning from it and that's an unusual attitude where, where did where did that come from i know it's always been sort of part of your approach but what is it in your own experience or when you were young or when you start started paying attention to your dreams that you didn't get it as into that interpretation thing that so many people seem incredibly focused on i think that that the, the focus on interpretation and the focus on uh it has to have a specific purpose in order to do it are the same thing, which is a which is we really privilege a certain part of our experience, right? We rarely privilege the the forward apple, you know, Apollonia, um, rational, goal oriented day. You know, we really privilege that part, and anything that's not contributing toward that, we don't. We tend to devalue. And I think that people don't spend enough time dropping into uh, imagination. I don't think people spend enough time away from the the non-goal-oriented modes of moving forward. And I think that people don't privilege the experience that they're having in the dream. So, um, you know, I'm a phenomenologist in, at, at heart with all of this stuff. I'm really interested in the experience. And if the only thing that matters in this amazing experience that you're having in the dream, whether it's a REM dream or a liminal dream, is its relevance to the waking goal-oriented 
self. I mean, that's really devaluing an enormous amount of your experience, you know. And so, uh, rather, I mean, and I do, of course, I do have dreams where this, you know, this is probably, you know, symbolic of that or where I'm engaged. I mean, sometimes some dreams are, it's, it's just very clear. But then other dreams are, I mean, it's just, it's experience. It's like saying, you know, well, what did my walk mean? I, I took a walk through the park. What did that mean? Why is that walk important to my work life? You know, I mean, and, and the answer is like, it's a walk. You know, be open to what's happening in the walk and and perversely and paradoxically in fact that does help the does help the goal-oriented mind you know yeah. there's all there's all these studies now about how uh mark pesci just sent me one about how much play uh you know all the experiments they're doing now with like play or you know dream space or whatever and how much better people think or you know how much more people succeed in those other modes if they let themselves go into the realms of play. So paradoxically, you know, not having it be concerned with goal-oriented, like the goal-oriented behavior is better for the goal-oriented behavior. Um, but I really, I really do think people devalue that experience and the whole way that we're, the whole way that we're all about those parts of ourselves are, you know, are one of the problems that I think that we have with world. We don't we don't spend enough time going into the more, you know, yin, meditative, dream, open, connection places. And I think if we did, we, you know, we might not be as messed up as a culture as we are. Well, one thing about that is is the fact that even though in some ways this is a very solitary practice, you can barely sometimes bring very much back for yourself, let alone for other people, uh, and while you know people use it for creativity and invention, and you talk about examples of that in your book, in a way, uh, another way of bringing it back that's to me, I think, a little more interesting has to do with just dreaming together. You know, the idea of dreaming together, whether it's liminal dreaming or or it's the this um, aeronauticum that you've been doing for. Uh, you know, off and on for many years of having people come together and, and share a sort of dream practice, uh, not necessarily liminal dreaming practice, but deep dreaming practice and sort of dreaming together. And there's something that happens there, even if you don't all go to the same place in your dream, which is the kind of thing that people would like to believe and seems to happen sometimes in people's experience. Um, but more just the whole sort of social affirmation of the value of dreaming and dreaming together. And there's this kind of beautiful paradox where you're doing something that's very personal and subjective. And yet by making it collective, which is kind of what you're doing by writing this book and giving workshops and lectures and going around and kind of drawing the dreamers together, by making it collective in that way, something else happens that's, that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, and think about it. I mean, so it's both the most incredibly personal experience. Uh, it's liminal dreams, particularly because they tend to be uh, a, a swirl of non-narrative, free associative images, you know, whatever memories, whatever it is, um, are intensely personal, right? It's what is happening for you in your own history, in your own internal version of the world out there, and yet every 
person who has ever lived has dreamed. And what a what a whacked out weird thing to have in common with everyone. We all have these bizarre, visionary, uh, otherworldly experiences all the time. You know, so it's, you know, I mean, you know, to think about like eating and sleeping and those kinds of things is common to all humans. Uh, it, you know, yes, okay. But to think about dreaming as common to all humans, you know, like sometimes that really blows my mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a funny thing. I mean, and that's what I really like about, or it's one of the things I really like about your work uh, in general. And to me, it says something about who you are as a person too. Is that you, 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 in a lot of ways, you're able to draw attention to the magic and enchantment that's just in the ordinary way that we already are rather than some other place. So it's like, you know, the way you decorate our house and the way you're like, oh, look at the way the light's coming through, you know, the stained glass window and falling on this one beautiful object and like it's stuff that I just never notice because I'm always in my head going, oh, what am I going to do next, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, look at that thing. And in a way, liminal dreaming is like that. It's like this marvel that's right there. And it you know requires a little bit of work to tune into, but not that much. And certainly, as you point out, much less than the far more desirable uh, supposedly goal of lucid dreaming, which is hard to do. Uh, and, you know, whatever, we could talk, you can even criticize it in some ways, which I think are, are actually kind of interesting. But liminal dreaming is just right there. It's just, we just all do it. And it's this marvel and enchantment and um and tool and space uh but it's it's we we normally just don't even know about it we don't even think about it we don't notice it uh but it's right there right we don't exactly we don't notice it but it's right there and probably that that's the thing that people say most often who sh who um are you know people writing me now about the book or who show up um a lot of people say i have had experiences with liminal dreams with hypnagogia or hypnopotmia for my whole life. And many people are even, I've been using them to make art or I've been using them to come up with ideas or to problem solve, but I never knew it had a name. I never knew it was a thing. I never really, or, or even just, I had those experiences when I'm falling asleep. I, you know, I, I hear, you know, the, the alien radio station when I'm falling asleep regularly and I never, never occurred to me that other people are having this experience and that it's this and that it's a space that you can go into and and open up and really enjoy you know i mean it's kind of like the 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 easy free cheap always available hangoverless high <laughs> that you can drop into at at any time and yeah i mean and that's so we were talking about earlier about like a lot of the esoteric meanings and i do have i mean the, you know the book is a, has a series of these mini histories of different traditions that have used liminal dreaming and ways that they've used it and you know if you have belief or if you have things that you want to do you can totally use it as a tool in those ways but yeah it's also just this extraordinary experience that's always right there right there you know um, when i uh I, I give talks and workshops at a lot of different places, but um, one of the venues, or you know, not venues, but types, is at, at festivals. I, I give workshops at a lot of festivals, and in the same way that you have the the opening line that you uh, use for this podcast, um, whenever I'm at a festival, I always start with uh, 
there's a swirling psychedelic space behind your eyes that you can access anytime. Yeah, and, and I, I just want to add one, we're wrapping it up here, but, but one thing in addition to that is that there is a kind of knowledge that comes through this in addition to the play and the yumminess and the strangeness and the pure experience, which is that I, I think it does actually shed light on a, a number of other kinds of experiences that people have that otherwise seem more otherworldly than they need to be. So like you mentioned, oh, I tune into an alien radio station. And I know you're kind of referring to experiences that have happened to me where yeah. I've gone very deep into very weird uh, liminal dreaming things. Like for me, li my liminal dreams have been much stranger than all but a handful of my REM dreams or my lucid dreams. And they've had a lot to do with other experiences that I've had on psychedelics and uh, and, you know, there's a handful of them that have been extremely peculiar, very esoteric, very extraterrestrial. And what I realized about them afterwards is that if I had a different kind of attitude, a different kind of belief set, I could very easily take the raw material of these experiences and build a narrative of, let's say, alien abduction. Because I've had experiences mm. that are very like aspects of what people report in those zones and so some of what i think is happening in paranormal claims is not that there aren't paranormal things happening on some level but that there there's a kind of there, there's not a middle ground to sort of acknowledge how weird hypnagogia can become where there's things yeah. in the environment like there seems to be spirits in your room and the spirits are sitting on your chest and the old hag and all that stuff that we also you know talk touch on in your book but we probably don't have time to do it now but it, in that sense it's not it's in addition to being exploration i think it also illumines for people who are interested in altered states and paranormal experiences and otherworldly accounts and the kind of stuff who was kind of people listen to the show that mm -hmm. It actually gives you a handle on a lot of uh, marginal zones of experience that help illuminate other things that people talk about. Yeah, that's a, that's a totally great ref. And there's so there's so much. Uh, and one of the things that really uh, happened to me when I was writing this book was I became so much more aware of the liminal zones just in life. You know, I, you know, I, I through the writing of the book, I came up with this idea that I call liminal mind, which is really starting to starting to understand how much one's own mind, one's own experience, one's own imagination actually uh, determines the world that you're moving through. I mean, you know, both does and doesn't. You know, in that create your own reality. I mean, the city doesn't care if you're not there, but if you are there then the, the city that you're moving through is your own projection of yourself and what's in your mind. And so there's so much liminal between the, the concrete shared reality uh, and the, the internal world that's ours alone. And starting to tune into to the liminal dreams really will really start to highlight a lot of what's happening in the liminal out there. Yeah, that's wonderfully said. I mean, we can even end it there. And that's, again, what's sort of nice about our books coming out together and, and the way in which they share a commitment to liminality as such. And that mm. with the specific ways we're talking about it, dreams, psychedelics, even thought itself is 
about exploring the liminal, which by its very nature is not just one thing. Uh, liminality is kind of a zone that you find in many, many different dimensions of reality, but the different liminal zones resonate with each other. Yeah, you know? nicely said. All righty, well, I think we'll have to end it there. Uh, are you, you're coming back, you're doing some more events. Where, where can people find out more about the events coming up? Uh, if you go, so if you go to Liminal Dreaming, Dot com. You'll see a lot of the exercises and things that I'm talking about. If you follow me on Twitter at Onerofer, O-N-E-I-R-O-F-E-R, at Onerofer, I tweet a dream a day. I've been doing that for a decade, and I also talk about my events. And if you go to urbandreamscape.com, uh, you'll see uh, my upcoming events. Excellent. So a lot of places to check it out. Well, thanks again for joining us on Expanding Mind, Jennifer. It is truly my pleasure, Eric. All righty. <laughs> Until next week, folks, keep your minds open. Open.